If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuels and Joel Nikoloff. Welcome. Joel, welcome. What's good, it's my brother? It's been a brother. while. Ah, man. Uh, well, I can say I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing better than the Cavs. Uh, <laughs> and the Vegas you know. Knights. Yeah, you don't know right? who that is. <laughs> right. Right. No, I know. I, I know. I know who that is. Um, but, <laughs> but, but it's nice. It's nice. Um, you know, in some instances, it, it makes me happy that I'm not playing in the NBA because I wouldn't want to have to answer any questions about um, getting swept. So, Again, I, I feel pretty good. I feel time. pretty good being uh, just Darnell Samuels today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not envious of LeBron's shoes. Right. 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 Minus the take you know, that LeBron toe. Minus the 364 days of the year. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 totally. Um, so today, we're, we're, we're looking at York, the York strike. What a surprise. So as of today, I believe it's, and this is the, the longest um, uh, Canadian or an English-speaking university um, has been on strike. So we're really going to just look at and unpack why this is if i told you i'm not surprised are you surprised (laughs) (laughs) why are you not surprised well well i mean basically i can i can tell you the response i gave to a friend of mine uh, when they were talking about their kid not being able to go to school and they're concerned about graduation and all this stuff um i said I see the cause of the problem that unions are negotiating with government funding. Um, And and largely, I would say, school, university, through OSAP, is largely government funding. And so you have an endless supply, because government can just print the money. Um, And then you have a union. Uh, when when you see those scenarios, um, the strikes are generally longer and more likely to occur. You know, when you've got a company like General Motors dealing with its union, General Motors has the ability to say, like, if you don't take this deal, this company will no longer exist. Uh, well, well, hold on, hold on. Uh, sorry, sorry. Wait, hold on, Joel. Well, first, first, let's give the people a background. Oh on what's going what on exactly is going on my bad and then and then we can jump into unpacking <laughs> all right so I'll, I'll i'll give you a, i'll give you a quick breakdown so uh so contracts expired last summer for three bargaining units which represent teaching assistants contract faculty and graduate assistants um bargaining began in october uh, the workers walked off the job on March 5th. Roughly 60% of the teaching at York is done by contract faculty and teaching assistants uh, represented by the Canadian Union. 
for public employees, uh, QP, the locale 3903. So Alex Usher from the Higher Education Strategy Association said in his article, at the key point in the strike, according to a conciliator's report, is the demand that the university make a minimum of 15 permanent faculty hires per year from the pool of contract staff. That's a hiring of 2% of their members a year. So the financial model that the universities have adopted over the last couple of decades, largely to accommodate higher salaries and lower teaching loads for tenure track professors. So it requires them to have roughly half their undergraduate credit hours taught by contract workers. So essentially the issue is that the tenure workers have a contract that pays them a lot and they do less work. So the contract people come in and pick up the slack. The problem is the contract people don't like the fact that they're picking up the slack by doing more work and getting less pay. So now um, I wasn't, they're on strike. Maybe I missed it, but I didn't necessarily see that they were working less or more like a tenure low i guess it's, it does say lower teaching loads um but what does that mean right does that mean that they're teaching a course um like i would presume a tenure track professor is likely to teach a fourth year course versus a first year course Whereas, because it's a high, you know, a higher level of difficulty, so they're getting paid for their high level of or ability to teach a high level of complexity, versus when you're teaching first year, low level complexity, but you have a mass amount of like exams and stuff, right? So I I, I just think you know there's a little bit of you know, misrepresentation, even in with that classification around teaching loads. Um, now, granted, I what I kind of first read into this um, was that they're, they want more contract teachers to become tenured so that they get paid more. Right, like that's, I mean, then goal of the union is to go negotiate contracts on behalf of their staff, like their, you know, people they're representing, and is to get them more money. Mm-hmm. But there was, you know, when it was talking about adopting a model that requires roughly half their undergrad credit hours taught by contract workers. I started reading into that financially because if you're going to require higher paid professors to do more work, cost of tuition is going to go up. Mm-hmm. But but that's not, you know, the cost of education is nowhere near part of this conversation. And that's that's really where I was starting from before we gave the context um, around a union negotiating with government funding. 
or, you know, in the case of a public school, it's just a government bureaucracy. Um, universities, there's a couple of different layers to it. So it's not as simple as saying it's a, you know, the government. But the contrast would be the auto workers union negotiating with GM or Ford. GM and Ford can say, if you don't take this deal, we, we can't afford to operate as a business. The, when the government right. is the one footing the bill, that's never a part of the negotiation, which means the union always has the ability to think they just don't want to give us this, not they can't afford it. So uh, like part of the issue that's concerning a lot of people is why is York continually on strike? Right. So like Rosemary Counter uh, wrote an article for McLean's wrote that York was founded on progressive notions, including that accessible higher education led to social justice, which attracted Marxist and socialist teachers from, and students. So it took just 13 years for York to strike. So the first strike and uh, in, in four decades since, uh, since they've opened. So if you look at the strikes that they've had since 2001, uh, one lasted tw um, 29 days, one was 77 days, and another 85 days. So similarly, uh, there are lots of graduate students and contract faculty union unions across Ontario. And while strikes are not uncommon, none have uh, the track record that QP3903 has, which is pretty interesting because, you know, this particular union has a track record of continually going on strike. What? Could it be possibly uh, the fact that they, they, they might be um, Marxist um, in their perspective? I mean, I've heard this secondhand, but I've heard that York is like the social justice warrior capital of Canada. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's not so it, it, it's not surprising if the students are social justice in nature. Inherently, yeah, well, it's, it's, interesting. it's interesting you say that, Joe. Have that Sorry? ideology. It's like where did the students get that, right? Generally speaking, it would be from their teachers. So, well, yeah, I think yeah. No, it's funny. It's funny you say that because because most students are like torn because most of them are 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 um, for uh, their teachers, their fellow teachers, and the union, and so forth. Which would make sense if they're Marxist. You're for the man, not for the bourgeoisie. Or sorry, you're for the worker, not for the man. Right. So mm -hmm. you're torn because you want your education, but your education's in jeopardy because they're on strike. And mm -hmm. but but you want to blame the university, but the teachers are the ones who went on strike. Um right. so I can see why they'd be torn. Um, but it's it's in my opinion founded in their Marxist ideology where the teacher is oppressed from the university. Okay, so so here here's the big question: Who's at fault? Why don't you start? Because my answer is not so simple. 
Pardon? So why don't you start? Because my answer is not so simple. Uh, well, why don't you start <laughs> and we'll try to make your answer simple. All right. Because you don't want to be so far off that the listeners are getting lost. So I'll represent the else. I'll listen for the listeners. So I'll, I'll go back to kind of where I started, which was, I think, who's at fault is really... Who's at fault, Joel? The, the system that was created. So who created that system? Well, government, right? The government, mass government subsidization of schooling, whether it's through you know, buildings and, and land or OSAP and, and the very, like, there's just so many functions where government subsidizes post-secondary education. And now you have unions, which I definitely want to speak about a little bit more, uh, particularly because I think the way unions are structured is part of the problem in that you've got a union that nobody can opt out of negotiating on behalf of its involuntary members with government who has an endless supply of money. And consequently... So sorry, so sorry, Joel. Are you saying that there's two? Are you saying that... So when I ask you, who's at fault? You're saying the government and the unions? I'm saying the government for creating this structure where it's union negotiating with government funding and what's wrong with that well i mean i gave the the auto workers scenario but technically the taxpayers are not an endless supply of money right we as taxpayers are the ones putting this bill if the government's funding it and, mm -hmm. and we don't have an endless supply of money but there's this perception that government has the endless supply of money. Right? They can always run deficits. They can always do other things to, to come up with the money. Whereas GM okay. can say, I, we have to close our doors. We're no longer in business. Okay. Okay, so, so you're saying, and also you're saying the unions are also to blame. Well, I'm, I'm pointing to government again with regards to unions. Uh, my critique of unions. okay. So what's the what's the relationship? What's your relationship between those these two? Because that's where I'm missing it. Um, so governments create uh, essentially because of the legislative nature of a union. It is created by government. How? It. I mean, the fact that you, as an employee of a particular company, can't say, you know what, the union is charging me more money than what they're contributing to me. I, I don't want to pay for the services anymore. You're not allowed. It's illegal. So they've legislated that you have to pay this company. Who I mean, legislated that? The government? The government. Once okay. the union gets enacted, you it's non-voluntary. Generally speaking, okay. the company can't even hire outside of the union. Mm -hmm. Now, there are exceptions in terms of like management staff versus non-management and then you know there's some but but in general like city of mississauga every single bus driver is part of the union the mm -hmm. union said negotiated such that 
the city of Mississauga is not allowed to hire anyone part-time. But they do split shifts every day. They do part shifts. And, and so every employee has to get paid for eight hours, no matter how many hours they work. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's all this structure that the, nego- that the union now has power. But you as an individual might view that they're not actually serving your needs. Okay. Okay, well, it's funny you say that because uh, I think the union is to blame in a different aspect. Uh, like one aspect is uh, the opposite of you, that they are meeting your needs. Uh, so, <laughs> so much so that the union incentivizes bad behavior. So like for bad employees <laughs> who like aren't doing their job, because they're covered, there's no incentive for the bad employee to clean up their act. You know, I've heard of situations where guys are watching porn at work and you wow. can't fire the guy. <laughs> right? Oh. Because because the <sighs> because the union's got him covered. Especially when it's a government employee. Like the gov like the government is the one paying the bill. So, you know, uh, when I was working at the city of Missaga, the only people who got fired were those who messed up, denied it. And basically, you know, we're just always in opposition to the leadership, right? Like, right. The, we would hire people at the city on contract because if the contract expired and they, they didn't like the employee, they could just not renew the contract. But as soon as they're off contract, it's almost impossible to fire the employee. Right, right. So, so, so that, that's my point. Like, it yeah. just incentivizes bad behavior. And then another aspect of where, um, I, I feel like unions are part of the part of the problem. I, I think that it hurts the quality of learning at the school and the aspect that uh, they're trying to determine or leverage the way the school hires. So if they want to hire tenured uh, professors, they're saying, okay, well, do it from this batch of contract people. Well, for the employer, it's like, well, no, York's saying no. We don't want to hire from the contract guys. Why? Because they're contract guys. I would rather hire some young up-and-coming scholar who's hungry um, and who has the giftings for the position. So we want to give posi- so, so we want to give the position to people uh, who are the most qualified. Who are the most qualified? Slash you know, show the I, most potential. I, right. And and this is no disrespect. This is no disrespect to anybody who's working contract. Maybe, maybe they're sleeping on your skills uh, as as a full-time employee. Then you need to take your skills and shop it somewhere else. Uh, because I, I, again, on the other flip side, is that there's people on the outside looking in who are saying, like, shoot, I'll I'll take the contract job and you won't hear a peep from me. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so, so there's, 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 there's many aspects to how the union, um, I don't know, just, just in, incentivizes uh, um, a bad behavior from um, employees, um, can't get rid of the cancerous guys, and, and hurting the, the, the hiring practices of the employer. So that, that, that's where I'm coming from on that. Yeah, and I would, I would definitely agree. I mean, I think your your point about incentivizing bad behavior i think um 
is a little, I want to say harsh of a terminology. I think the better, if we, let's go look at uh, high school teachers, for example, because it's a very similar scenario. But it disins, I would say that the union disincentivizes working hard. Mm-hmm. When you're, and mm-hmm. I would say so does tenureship at, at times. Um, if you're not at risk of losing your job, are you going to, is it likely that you're going to work less hard? Or let's put it in a better classification. If you're someone who's wanting to work, not not wanting to work hard, soon as you get tenure, or and especially as a high school teacher, if you don't want to work hard and you don't have the fear of losing your job, you're not going to work hard. Mm-hmm. Now, the counter argument would be that if they don't have to worry about their losing their job, they're going to be less stressed and they're going to do their, do their job better. Like, okay, right. I hear the argument, but in economics, we would say that creates a moral hazard. Meaning, the immoral behavior is not punished. Wow. Right. Right. No, 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 totally. And it's it's pretty deep when you start to really look at this whole scenario and really showing people like, okay, not not to hate on unions, but the history of, of the unions is just so... Ah... Not good, because even like, you know, historically, you know, unions, you know, after slavery, unions were created to to keep black people out of the workforce. You know, no because one's going to believe slavery. you when you say that, right? <laughs> well, well, okay, no, well, okay, well, you know what? Let me prove it. Let me prove it. So during slavery, black people acquired the skills. Yeah. Blacks were acquiring the skills, uh, good working habits skills to tend the field and so forth so uh with the abolition of slavery now you're pushing uh black people into the workforce so if you're um a white employer you're saying okay look i need i need cheap labor i need cheap efficient labor so it's between the white guy and the black guy right the black guy has the skills and he'll work for less the white guy's not going to do that so you're hiring so Sorry? Like, I just want to jump in to say, you know, he's willing to work for less because he wants the job experience. Right? He doesn't right. have so, job so technically, experience. Technically, technically, right, right. So technically, the loser is the white guy who's not working. Yeah, or, the winner is the been. black guy who's working and getting paid. Yeah, and so, then when he so, has so, experience, he can ask for more money. But he doesn't have experience. Right. To ask, uh, well, right. On but, paper but, okay, but yeah, yeah. But if it comes down to feeding your family, what's better, no money or some money? Yeah. Exactly. So technically, black people are winning at this point after slavery, right? Yep. Under un, under under white employers, so they're getting paid and doing their thing. So white people are like, okay, shoot, how are we going to fix this problem? Well, I got an idea. We'll create unions. And what do what's the nature of the union? The union is to phase, uh, uh, or not phase, but to keep people um, on the outside who aren't employed from coming in. So it's protecting those within the union. So, so you know, white union workers, they get together and they say, okay, look, we're going to protect ourselves by creating this union and keeping black people out. And how do even, they... Even like, even, 
Sorry? I was going to say, how did they keep people, black people out? By basically legislating the employer had to hire from the union. Right. Right. So even, even, like, even like today, even like today, like the principle of the union, we see it even in the NBA. So everybody's like, oh, oh these kids are taking money and they're getting abused by the NCAA uh, because they're taking money from the NCAA. So da 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 da. And the NBA players are saying, you know, the NCAA is crooked and this and this and that. But the, the, the NBA players union made the rule to say, yo, no jumping from high school to the league. Yep. So what you're, what you're seeing is the unintended consequences of that rule, right? Yep. It's, it's the NBA players who, who have the players not coming into the league. It allows them to make more money and not lose their job. The older right. guy doesn't allows lose them his to job make more money to the young because, guy. Because, because, yo, Joel, because you know the sports is a what have you done for me lately. And a lot of times when you watch the draft, no matter what sport you're watching, it's always about the new stud. It's always about the new young guy who could come in, who could run, jump, and he's going to replace a second-year guy prior that the main guy. That's, that's the nature or, of it. So if you're, if you're phasing these guy. young studs out, bruh, bruh, that's it. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so we, we, we see the consistency of the union in, in that aspect um, to keep people out of work. Even like at York, let's get, bring it back to York. If you're, if you're a student and you're about to graduate and you're looking for a job to be a teacher at York, well, it's going to be hard for you to get in yeah, because of the union. Maybe, maybe you want to only work you know, a very peculiar schedule for whatever reason. Maybe you got to take care of a sick family, but like the school wants to hire you because they see your promise and they understand your circumstance. So you're like, yeah, you know what? I only want to teach one course because I got X, Y, Z going on. Well, because of the union, that doesn't fit the conditions of employment because they've guaranteed all of their union members a certain number of teaching hours a year well, you can't get a job because right. you can't meet or, the predetermined right. conditions right. Or, of employment. Or, 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 right, or, or, or they're pigeonholing the, the employer um, from the pool from which they can hire from. They're saying, no, you only hire from this pool. Well, no, let the employer hire from the best pool that, that brings in the best teachers. But with all that said, so Joel, so what do you want? The, what's your two cents? What do you want the listener to take away from this? So I think as much as we've both pretty much been on a somewhat union bashing you know session um i actually see a lot of value in unions with one thing that makes it problematic so the value i see is and if you go and read what unions will tell you like i was on the qp's website and it was like top seven reasons why young people should work for a union or why unions matter to the young Five out of those seven are essentially, I have somebody advocating on my behalf, whether it's contract negotiations, problem resolution, you know, dispute, whatever. Like, I'm essentially outsourcing my employment contract negotiations. I think that is amazingly valuable. The problem is, there's no free market. So I don't have the ability to say, you know what, this employment representative organization is, no, is charging me too much for what they're getting me. I'm going to go to a different company. And my job doesn't change, just my representative changes. And I mean, we see some of this in the, in the world today with, you know, 
contract like when you can go to an employment agency and stuff like that think of something like that but massively different in that you know of a hundred uh, a company with a hundred different employees every single one could be represented by a different person including themselves right this is the biggest thing that i have a problem with unions there's exclusivity you're not allowed to hire non-union members and and that alone makes it so the union has excessive power the argument for unions is that the employer has excessive power and we need to counterbalance it and i would say the power has shifted too far and the way to resolve that is to move away from monopolies i.e you can only hire from our employment base so Darnell, what do you want to leave the listener with? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, well. First of all, Joel, I think that I think that was an um, excellent summary, and I think that yes, I would say that the union um, is a monopoly of service. Where they deny service, they monopolize um, uh, the 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 job that they do, and then they basically handcuff the employer. So. It's crazy when you look at it. But what I really want the audience to learn from the York strike is that worldviews matter. They have practical implications for the way we act at work. The union wants job security for contract workers. The York administration wants to make sure that those who get uh, tenure deserve it. We see a different aspect of Marxism in this. Uh, the real war isn't between the bourgeoisie or the proletariat. Contract workers make less with limited benefits, but do 60% of the work that is not done by tenured profs. The real problem is with the unions and the collective agreements. The issue with contract faculty um, is actually with tenured profs and the significant benefits they incur as tenured employees. Collective agreements do not allow for unionized employees to grieve other unionized employees unless it violates the terms of the collective agreement. So the union's only option is to strike within them with the employer. The real class warfare is not employer-employee, but employee-employee. And that's my two cents, because Darnell said so. So, uh... We want to hear your two cents, especially if you go to York. Hit us up. Tell us your experience. Tell us what you're going through, who you agree with, who you disagree with. Um, hopefully, we've been especially able to... Especially if you disagree with us. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I'm hoping that maybe we shed some light on this, though, for the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Um, that, that, because really I'm cool. sure so many people only hear this through the lens of, of media, which is always pro-union, or, or only through, you know, school communications. Um, and, and obviously the school is going to be anti-union so um, give us your two cents Facebook, Twitter, email sixcents at gmail.com but you heard me does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media 